from RTE News. This is States of Mind. Donald, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. Little Buddha touch, Slippy Joe and Crazy Bernie. Mini Mike. I hit Pocahontas way too early. We have a president who is not only a pathological liar. We have a criminal living in the White House. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Let's just pick somebody, please, and let's start this thing. Let's start it. Pick somebody. Your U.S. Election 2020 podcast. With Brian O'Donovan in Washington. And Jackie Fox in Dublin. Today. In, in Brooklyn, where it was the epicenter of it, people were hailing hearses like they were taxis because they couldn't get funeral directors. New York State now has more reported coronavirus cases than any country in the world. Well, this is a war zone. It's a medical war zone. Every day I come in, what I see on a daily basis is pain, despair, suffering, and healthcare disparities. The world has been transfixed by the US at the moment and the unrest there. People have reacted from emotions that range from horror to hope with the death of George Floyd. But also there has been a renewed conversation surrounding racial injustice in the country. Behind all that, though, the United States is still battling a pandemic with around 2 million COVID-19 infections now. While like everywhere else in the world, the US is slowly reopening and by no means out of the woods yet. But with the violence and vandalism in the unrest, we've actually seen some testing centres close. At least 70 coronavirus testing sites, Brian, across the US are closed, according to the US Department of Health and Human Services, which could cause problems down the road. These protests have really eclipsed the pandemic. Yeah, and you raise some good points there. So number one, we have these scenes of massive crowds of people gathered together, which is the absolute opposite of social distancing. And then we've had this knock-on effect of because of all this uh, unrest and disruption, we're actually seeing some of these closed testing sites. Now, a lot of these sites were located in private pharmacies in socially vulnerable neighbourhoods. And interestingly, a protester who took to the streets in Columbus, Ohio recently has tested positive for the coronavirus. So there's a big fear out there that these big gatherings, these closing of test sites could have this knock-on effect of seeing a spike in the US. It's been very interesting covering these protests over the last week or two. And being reminded every now and again that we are in the grip of a pandemic. Because of course, From a news perspective, the protests have eclipsed the pandemic story. But when you're out on the scene, you do see the vast majority of protesters wearing their face masks and they're selling at the protest site face masks that say, I can't breathe, which, of course, were the dying words of George Floyd. So we can't forget that it's going on. Both are happening in tandem. But as I say, there is that fear that those big, big gatherings could lead to another spike here in the U.S., How is the reopening of states going? Many of your reports, Brian, in the spring featured people at protests calling for states to reopen, to reboot the economy. Hundreds of protesters converging on the Capitol today, some holding signs calling the stay-at-home order unconstitutional, urging people to go against these restrictions. This is not about a sickness anymore. This is now about control, and that's why I'm out here. It's a human right for our children to be able to go to school and for us to be able to work and put food on our table for our children. Is there any data to show yet a surge in cases since that reopening began? 
Well, it's been very interesting to travel around the US. So here in Washington, D.C., everything's still very much in lockdown. Interestingly, actually, just as the protests were kicking off in recent weeks, that's when the D.C. lockdowns were being lifted. But many of those businesses had to board everything up again because there was looting and rioting and trouble on the streets. So D.C., slow to reopen. Obviously, New York, the epicenter, slow to reopen. What I've seen, though, is traveling around the country, a state like Georgia, reopened quite early on and I was in Georgia recently and it was interesting to see shops restaurants bars almost like things had returned to normal however my experience was that a lot of these places you went into were very very quiet they're certainly not back to business in that way that everything is up and running again yes everything is open but people aren't necessarily coming back it was interesting to see waiting staff in restaurants gloves masks Lots of social distancing among the tables. Every second table closed and signs up on it saying, do not sit here. The data, when you look at it, is interesting as well. Let's take a state like Georgia, which opened very early on, and there was quite a lot of criticism of the state's governor. Many people saying he was opening too soon and too quickly. There hasn't really been a big spike in cases in mm. those states that reopened early. Nor has there been a fall in cases. A lot of the cases have sort of plateaued and they've sort of stayed at a relatively high level but they haven't gone up in any great way but obviously that is a very moving picture and something that everybody will be watching very very closely I don't know if you get the feeling over there but you certainly get it here that there's a sense of being in limbo at the moment or people are waiting to see what is going to happen next at the same time though there's a reflection going on and naturally eyes are turning back to what happened especially for you, Brian, in the United States, to the chaos that was New York, the city that never sleeps, became quiet. This morning, the death toll in New York State is nearing 1,000. Hospitals are reeling with New York City's mayor warning they will run out of supplies by this weekend. What are you looking at on a daily basis? How difficult is this? Well, this is a war zone. It's a medical war zone. Every day I come in, what I see on a daily basis is pain, despair, suffering, and healthcare disparities. New York State now has more reported coronavirus cases than any country in the world. For me, covering the New York story probably brings the images that will always stay with me the most throughout all of this. I distinctly remember those scenes on Heart Island, this island off New York that is used normally to bury people who are unclaimed. But it was used in huge numbers in recent times at the height of the pandemic, mass graves being dug, a big increase of people coming in and a really stark scene of coffins being lowered into the ground in a mass grave scenario. Hard to believe that you would see that in New York in 2020. Also striking stories and striking images of nursing homes becoming overwhelmed, bodies being found piled up in makeshift morgues, in rooms within nursing homes. And then, of course, those images that I think will stay with everybody as well, big refrigerated trucks parked outside hospitals because the morgues within the hospitals had become overwhelmed. The governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, he's become an international figure because of the virus with his blunt, straight talking and at sometimes humorous press conferences, but also sparring with President Donald Trump. He's been hailed a hero by some, but others have labelled him a failure. Yeah, so as you say, he has been propelled into the limelight, a huge figure now. Lots of talk at one point of, oh, why can't we get him to run instead of Joe Biden and replacing him on the ticket for president? He was everywhere. 
I used to say that it was like the day for a while was bookended by the Andrew Cuomo press conference in the morning and then the Donald Trump press conference in the evening giving their updates and a very interesting relationship between those two men. They have a long history. They have been friends in the past. They have been enemies in the past. <laughs> they have clashed. And we saw that back and forth throughout the COVID-19 as well, where some days they would praise each other. Other days they would criticize each other. The president is also watching this press conference. He tweeted 13 minutes ago, quote, Governor Cuomo should spend more time doing and less time complaining. First of all, if he's sitting home watching TV, maybe he should get up and go to work, right? He wants to say, well, I did enough. Yeah, none of us have done enough. We haven't, because it's not over. So yes, thank you for the Javits. Thank you for the US Navy ship Comfort. But it's not over. We have a lot more to do. But you're right, in recent weeks, some of the shine has definitely gone off Andrew Cuomo, and he has been criticized for one big aspect of his handling of all of this, and this was to do with his nursing home response. So a widely criticized health department mandate issued back in March required all nursing homes to readmit residents who tested positive for the coronavirus. Now, Cuomo has twice blamed federal guidance for the controversial directive, and he didn't appear to regret it even though roughly 5,800 confirmed or suspected COVID-19 deaths now reported in nursing homes, the state partially backtracked the policy earlier this month, saying that hospitals cannot send COVID-19 positive people back into homes, and they're also ordering all staff to be tested twice weekly. At least 450,000 healthcare workers worldwide have become infected with the coronavirus. Let's talk to one who worked in that epicentre. We're joined now by Irish-American healthcare worker Jim Nealon, who's a physician assistant at NYU Hospital in Brooklyn. Jim, thanks for joining us. You have been in the epicenter, on the front line of this COVID-19 crisis here in the US for the last few months. Maybe talk us through, first off, take us back to the start when things first started getting really, really bad and you knew you had a crisis on your hands. What was it like working in the hospital every day? You know, it was tough. You know, um, I think all of us as healthcare workers, you know, you know, we're not afraid to go into different things that happen like this. I think the worst part in the beginning was just basically not having enough equipment. But we had all hands on deck here in New York City. We had a lot of um, traveling uh, nurses and uh, respiratory therapists and uh, some physicians come in from other parts of the country to help us. You could have many patients. I, one night I had like 30 something patients, but they were stable. I think the most I had that were critical was eight or nine on ventilators. So you would go to the unit, get a sign out from the person that you were relieving. And, you know, I work in cardiology, so, and I was, I have a EMS background. I was a paramedic for many years in New York. So, you know, I have good experience with critical patients, but a, a lot of stuff was over my head. I mean, I remember one night I had about six or seven patients. They, they, they were each on ventilators, when, you know, six to 10 drips of medication, four or five for sedation, paralysis, another four, you know, for, their, you know, to maintain a blood pressure, uh, you know, and uh, it, it was rough, but we got through it. Like our critical care attendings would be spread out. And um, if you had any questions, you'd reach out to one of them and uh, they would help you get through the night. And we just, it was like really all hands on deck. If my patients were a little stable, you might go and help another provider with the patients. Jim, is there a story that will 
stick with you forever from this experience that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Yeah, that's a um, that's a good question. I think it, it was early on in the beginning when um, you know the several that I had, like you know, were just dying alone, and you the, the, you know you, you didn't have the contact, and every everybody was alone, and uh, you know, you just hold their hand or. Uh, you know, be in the room with them. And then when you call the family, you know, um, you know, you just told them that, uh, they weren't alone when they died. And that was seemed to be important for a lot of the family members. They want to know whether they had suffered or anything like that. Um, I would think that would probably be the biggest thing that stood out and just also being very proud of everybody. I, I actually have to say, I, I learned quite a bit, you know, uh, clinically because the patients did present very differently and, um, than our normal patients. And, uh, I remember one night, it was a really rough night, and um, I'm like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through the night. I work nights, and, uh, you know, I think one of my colleagues uh, just put my his hand on his, my shoulder and said, hey, what, can I help you with anything? And he was having an easier night, and he helped me get a few th- through a few things with some patients I was trying to um, work on, and, uh, you know, the teamwork was really, really awesome, you know? A lot of New York spirit. Jim, I was just going to say on a personal level, you yourself got the coronavirus. And we also saw the most amazing images online of members of the public applauding the frontline workers. What was it like on a personal level to both be sick yourself, but to also get that appreciation from people out there for your hard work? You know, I I was very lucky. I had mild symptoms as opposed to uh, many of my colleagues that were sick. And their description of being sick was like a a truck ran them over. And uh, thank God the majority of them... uh, did survive. I lost two friends of mine that were uh, actually three now that are New York City paramedics that I've known for, you know, my almost my whole lifetime over 30 years, which was really rough. And uh, the clapping is still going on, actually, on my block. And uh, like Jackie just said, the New York spirits. So uh, and food at the door all the time. I've definitely part of the quarantine 15. I've gained at least 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, people making sure you, you, you have dinner. Uh, someone dropping off, uh, you know, uh, beer or something like that or a glass you know a bottle of wine and just making sure you're okay so that's uh that was definitely an awesome thing in the hospital also people all the local i'm in uh, south brooklyn in um in bay ridge dyka heights and uh many of the restaurants and uh the places that we normally might order food from on a regular day or i mean the food is still coming i, I had neighbors the other day uh i was going into work on a day shift and uh they had uh, had me stop by a bagel store on the way and a, a huge spread for breakfast. Just in relation to your colleagues in the hospital, um, what do you say to each other during times like this, even reflecting on times like this? How do you comprehend it all? Yeah, that was uh, that could have been tough. That was tougher for some people, I guess, at times. We just supported each other and uh, jokes or try to, you know, say we'll get through this um trying not to be negative that's you know like i said like when i go into those critical care units sometimes i'm like you know i we had different ventilators that some of them i guess we got from the government and things and i wasn't even comfortable with them let alone a regular ventilator and if the nurse you know was comfortable with it or somebody would be like look you call call me anytime i remember i took over with one doctor had worked all day and he goes i don't care if it's three in the morning just call me i mean he was critically care trained and uh He's like, just call me for anything. He goes, I know these patients, any questions, any problems. So I think that was the biggest, uh, you know, the toughest part for some people. Like, I remember one night I had a rough night in an ICU with like seven or eight ventilated patients. And in the morning, as I was given sign out, I was like, uh, you know, 
gentlemen, uh, you know, I did the best I can and hopefully I'm not leaving anything out. And one of them looked at me and goes, Hey, I'm a foot doctor by day. This is way over my head. <laughs> and the other doctor was, uh, in a dentist and, uh, the critical care doctors that were coming on that day said, we have you, we, anything you call us for anything. You know, I, I think, you know, things like this, you know, always bring out the best in people. And I saw it after September 11th and, you know, I've been around a long time. It, it, it's uh, my hospital. I've been there a long time too. So, you know, it, it was tough, I guess, not getting the hugs and things like that. But um, I think we're ready for the hugs and the, we're ready to rip off these masks. I think people are getting uh, really uh, antsy now. Jim, are you concerned at all about a return or another uptick or another spike for a couple of reasons? We're seeing these mass protests, both in New York, Washington, all around the US right now, big crowds gathering, and we're seeing the easing of restrictions. What do you think about when you think about a possible return of this and things going back to the way they were? It's definitely something I hope we don't see. I think a big fear is, you know, a resurgence during the um, the flu season. But what I do have to say is I think we're we're well prepared. It's, it's something, you know, I think we all have in the back of our minds and we're praying that it doesn't happen, but I think we'll be very well prepared. We had about 11 COVID units and um, now we're down to just two as of last week. It could even be one right now. I think we'll be well prepared from, the, from what we saw and what we experienced. Clive, I think it was the day after we spoke to you last time on States of Mind that things really kicked off and escalated for you. You were telling us that you just received a letter from the coroner's office uh, saying that expecting 5,000 deaths in New York City's uh, five boroughs. Can you tell us what happened after we spoke to you? What happened um, after we spoke, it... I, it was something that we weren't expecting. Um, like I said to you um, last time, we were expecting, a, um, you know, 5,000 deaths in New York City. And uh, it just was 5,000 times, maybe three or four. To be honest, I haven't counted the amount of deaths because we've been just so busy here doing what we're supposed to do. We haven't had a chance to, to count. But it's been, it's been mayhem. What happened in April? Well, basically... Um, just to give uh, you an idea, we would do, we'll say, 110 to 120 funerals a year. In the month of April, we did 65. Nice. So if that puts it into perspective, we did six and a half to seven months worth of funerals in one month. Where, was there a moment there where you thought, this can't be happening, I can't believe what I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing? There, it, it, it was, you know, it's, it's one of those things, um, being a funeral director, I always say is sometimes it's like being a firefighter. You just get up and you run into the fire and you do what you have to do. And it's, you know, like right now you look back at it and you say, wow, did this really happen? And that's what's happening right now here, um, in the U S and, um, you know, I'm just sitting down and I'm talking to you and I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to believe what happened. Um, I mean, it was just to share a little bit, I mean, there was families, I don't want to say their entire family was wiped out, but in cases, in one case, I remember where the virus hit a house and um, it took away the mother and daughter of the family. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's like looking back and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, where you have like two caskets in one room. 
and the family are coming to say goodbye to their mother and goodbye to their sister. It was just, it's like we were fighting an invisible enemy, you know? That's what we were doing. We were fighting an invisible enemy that we couldn't see. Do you feel, Clive, that the fight is over? Have you come out the other end? I mean, first off, on a busyness, hectic perspective, have things returned to normal for you? And are you concerned that we could see some sort of a spike or return in the future? Yeah, um, th- things have returned to normal. But, you know, we're, we're getting that letter that um, we spoke about the last time. That letter has come out again, so as it has. And, you know, they're predicting that we're going to see something again in the fall. And, you know, it's, it's I mean... I, the fight's not over. Absolutely, the fight's not over. Everybody is walking around in masks. People are not uh, fully back to work yet. Uh, we're working on phase one. Um, you know, we have three more phases to go before all the businesses are open again and we're back to the new normal. But definitely, the fight's not over. I mean, as far as um, the volume of deaths, it has definitely dropped way, way, way down. The volume of people inside in the hospitals and emergency rooms is way, way down. But, you know, everybody's at home. Uh, once people start coming back to work again and once people start having their 4th of July parties, I mean, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen. If there is that second surge in the autumn or the winter, do you think the world and New York is better prepared or will we just be back to the awful, awful scenes that we've seen in the recent weeks and months? I, 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 think, we're, I think we're better. We're definitely going to be better prepared. I mean, I don't think anybody was prepared for what we saw. Um, I definitely wasn't prepared for it. I mean, I was not expecting to do as many funerals as we did in the month of April. Um, no way even close to that. I think we'll be better prepared. I mean, I, I'm just, you know, it's, it's, it's concerning because, you know, there's so many people out of work. Um, there's so many people, you know, um, with no incomes coming in, as we all know right now. And, you know, they're going to go back to work. And then if this happens again, it's going to be devastating to the whole country, I think. Clive, you must be exhausted. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that we are. Right now we're exhausted because it's, it's like when you're, when you're going and going, you're not tired because you do what you have to do. But it's when you sit down and, you know, things are much quieter. That's when, that's when, that's when the exhaustion um, comes in. But, you know, it was, it was, it was just, you know, um, just to give uh, listeners a, an understanding of what it was like, um, the, the, the deaths were so many that when people were calling funeral homes, Sometimes they're waiting like 24 hours for a funeral director to come to them. In, 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 one, in, in Brooklyn, where it was the epicenter of it, people were hailing hearses like they were taxis because they couldn't get funeral directors. I mean, it was the, the, the people from New York City were calling funeral homes 50 miles out of the city um, for somebody to care of their loved one. Um, in, one in one instance, um, and I'll never forget this, and this is, you know, where I... Where I, where I broke down, um, I had a family call me where their loved one had passed away. Um, you know, they, they had called um, funeral homes and her kids were, you know, running around the house. Her mother had passed away and she couldn't get a funeral home to come. And we just didn't have the manpower to go out and help her. And I called her back the next day and I kept in touch with her just to see you know, how she was doing. And she said she called a funeral home like 50 miles away. So that's, that's what was happening. And uh, to answer your question, yes, it's like, now we're, now we're exhausted. Now we're, we're trying to get over this. As a journalist covering this outbreak, some of the images that will stand out with me were the bodies being buried on Hart Island off New York, the mass graves there, the refrigerated trucks to take all the bodies because the morgues were full. 
you are someone who is used to dealing with death, Clive, but has this changed your view of death and your philosophy and your outlook on life and death? It has changed my view on life. Um, it hasn't, you know, it hasn't changed my view on, on death. Unfortunately, none of us are going to get out of here alive. But it, for me, it has it has made me, you know, understand that we're here today. We could all be gone tomorrow. Like I, I said that story earlier about the, the mother and daughter. I mean, you know, I spoke to the 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 sister, the twin sister of the girl who passed away, and you know, three weeks earlier they were they had a family get together and they were all celebrating. And that's probably when, you know, when they all got contaminated or, or contracted the virus. And three weeks later, you know, they're having a gathering, but this time they're having it around a ca uh, two caskets. So, you know, it, it has changed my view on life. Absolutely. You know, you get up every day, you hug people that are close to you. Um, you know, you tell them that, that you love them. Um, you do the things you want to do. If you want to take that family trip, go take it. Um, don't put it off till next year because... What I've seen, and you know, with the hundred and something thousand deaths we've had here in the U.S., none of us might be around next year. You know, please God, we all will be, but who knows? You know, who knew that this invisible enemy was going to come in? I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I wasn't here in 9/11, um, so I can't imagine what it was like in 9/11. But you know, it was it was a war back then, a war on terror. I mean, now it's a war on COVID-19. That's the the best way to explain it. You know. You know, it's, 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 you know, like there's, there's so many people that I, I, I knew personally. I have five or six friends in the month of April that passed away. So where do we go from here? You know, I, I think live life, enjoy life, um, and, and just stay safe and keep, keep your friends and family very, very close. So sorry for your losses there, Clive. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us again. No, we really do appreciate it. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And thank you for uh, checking in. And, um, you know, everybody just stay safe and um, stay healthy and be careful, you know, for this next wave that they're planning on coming in because, you know, hopefully it's not as bad as what we've seen, but it's uh, something to be concerned about. Thank you so much for joining us, Clive. Really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks, Bye Clive. Bye -bye. Take care. So look, obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has hit us all in a variety of ways. And Jackie Fox, you <laughs> were supposed to be doing something very, very special next week, but that ain't gonna happen now. No, we're going to take a bit of time off from states of mind. Um, I was due to take holidays uh, because I was due to get married. Um, but like many COVID-19 wedding couples, plans have been postponed. But sure... What is another year? I suppose um, I'm still going to. As Johnny Logan once sang. <laughs> As Johnny Logan. Will he be at the wedding? Maybe. Maybe you could get Johnny. I, this is be, my official request for Johnny Logan <laughs> to be at a wedding in County Galway next year. Um, next year. Yeah, I'm. Don't still... invite Dicky Rock. They don't like each other. Apparently, they row now. I know. The last thing we want is a fist fight at a wedding. I'm oh, sure there's enough no. of well, them you're already. Have that anyway, but yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm still going to take the time off and enjoy this little country of ours in any safe way that I possibly can. I think that's important. So we are you're, going to be you're dead right. Yeah, we're going to be back on the week of June 29th. So two weeks off from States of Mind, but a lot to listen back to if you haven't already. Congratulations on your non-wedding and Thanks, enjoy Brian. the break. Thanks, Brian. We'll chat to you soon. Chat to you soon, Jackie. Bye bye.